Hi, everyone. Thanks for welcoming us into your home. We're continuing on in our series about, I used to think, but now I know. Really a series that was prompted by a book by Bob Goff called Love Does. And we've been looking at a number of quotes in the book and then looking at texts to help us understand perhaps what Bob Goff was talking about and perhaps springboarding into some new thoughts. So the quote that caught my attention this week was this. I used to think religion tasted horrible. Now I know I was tasting the fake stuff. Well, a religion is defined as a particular system of faith and worship. And authentic Christianity is a religion, but it's based on a relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and sometimes evangelical Christians say, I'm not religious. And I think we confuse people because really uh, we are religious, but our relationship is what we are basing our, our understanding of our relationship to God the Father through Jesus Christ. And so we say, well, we're not religious. It, we really, I think, are meaning that we don't put our hope in our uh, practice, but we put our faith in the fact that Jesus has saved us completely apart from anything that we could do or any re religious practice that we could do. Uh, here's a passage of scripture that comes to mind. It's from the book of James, chapter 1, verse 26 to 27. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Let's pray. So, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for James, the elder, James the just, who's writing and, and instructing believers about what it really means to be religious, to, to have a kind of expression of their faith that, that God the Father believes is pure and faultless or authentic. Help us, Lord, in our expression of our faith, in our practice of our faith to be authentic and not fake. Uh, help us, Lord, then to attract people to Jesus instead of leaving a bad taste in their mouths. In your name we pray, amen. So James the Elder calls fake religion worthless. You know, people only see our outward acts of religion. Really, they don't, they don't see our thoughts, they don't see our intentions, they don't see our feelings or our past endeavors. And while we may be feeling in our heart of hearts that we're right with God and and uh, we're uh, continuing along in our spiritual walk, uh, they're not under, people who look at us or observe us, uh, even uh, close up, they don't see or understand that. All they observe is our religious observances. And if our religious observances or the way we practice our faith doesn't line up with biblical Christianity or uh, as followers of Jesus, authentic Christianity, then it, it really leaves a bad taste in their mouths. If what we say does not line up with what we profess to believe, we leave a bad taste. You know, the monarch butterfly is a beautiful butterfly. It's perhaps the most famous butterfly with its colors, its orange and blacks, and uh, because of its migration, it uh, only eats, uh, as a caterpillar, it, the milkweed. And actually, butterflies, monarch butterflies, are completely toxic. Uh, and uh, if a bird eats a monarch butterfly, they will immediately vomit it up. And uh, I, I remember at university seeing a video of a, a bird 
who had eaten a monarch butterfly and immediately retched and vomited up. The, the taste is supposed to understandably so horrible that the next time the bird was shown a picture of a monarch butterfly, it threw up just the sight of it. And that means it's toxic. It is, it is really uh, 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 something that just is, must be horrible to the taste. And I think sometimes people who don't know Jesus, people who observe Christians, uh, kind of get a bad taste in their mouth. They, they kind of they see the practice of what some Christians are doing and, and what they understand Christianity to be, uh, to be at odds. And that, that disconnect uh, leaves a bad taste in their mouth. Now, James, the elder, mentions keeping our tongues in check as being very important in how we practice our faith, how we practice our religion. He goes on to elaborate this in chapter two. He says, don't show favoritism in church. He says, if someone comes into your gathering and they're dressed really well and they look, they're well-spoken and they perhaps uh, give off the vibe that they're uh, wealthy, don't give them the best seats. And then the people who come in who perhaps aren't uh, as well off, give them the poor seats. No, he says, don't do that. Don't show favoritism. That would be contradictory to who we are as uh, followers of Jesus. And secondly, he says, so he's saying, don't say those kinds of things to wealthy people or say those kinds of things to poor people to put them down or to make them feel um, disadvantaged. And he also says that we need to, in chapter 2, verse 15 to 16, that we need to put in practice what we say and not just be full of hot air, so to speak. James also reminds us to look after the disenfranchised. This is another part of what he calls pure and faultless religion. In his culture, this was looking after orphans and widows. Uh, there was no economic safety net in that culture. There was no uh, pensions that they could rely on or any uh, government subsidy that they could rely on. So they relied on uh, the, their benefactors, perhaps their family members or their church to look after them. That's not so much the case today, particularly in our, our culture. But in our culture, it would be anyone in need of support. So it would be uh, people who fall through the cracks, perhaps the homeless or new immigrants or unemployed or the working poor. So James reminds us to look after these people. This is an important aspect of our relationship with God that's demonstrated through our, well, through our service, through our acts of religion. And finally, James goes on to tell us that pure and faultless religion means keeping oneself from being polluted by the world. Now, today we often talk about a, a pollution in the world and the fact that human beings are polluting the world. Well, James isn't talking about the world as in planet Earth, but he's using the word world to mean the world's rebellious ways or the values of our culture which are contradictory or are at odds with the values of the kingdom of God. So he's saying don't be polluted by the world's values. First uh, John chapter 2, verse 16 spells it out this way. It says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So Christianity leaves a bad taste when we don't talk like we believe, when we don't live out our faith in front of others who perhaps don't see inside us or understand what we believe, but are just watching us, observing us to try to figure out what we truly believe. Secondly, when we are only concerned with ourselves and those like us. Have you noticed that? that I think that's a tendency of all of us. We, we tend to uh, mix 
with people who are like us, cultures that are like us, people in the same socioeconomic class as we are. And uh, what James is warning us about is that we have to be very careful that we act like Jesus and associate with everyone and treat everybody fairly and kindly and generously. And then thirdly, we need to be careful not to act the same as the world around us, as the world has all kinds of uh, ways and values and, and things that, that uh, they believe or hold true that are really contradictory to the kingdom values. We instead need to demonstrate an alternative to the world's pollution, alternative to the individualism that we see in the world, an alternative to the selfishness, to the hedonism, an alternative to this desire for uh, a wealth or, or this desire to accumulate wealth. We sh need to show that, uh, that alternative community that loves and values and cherishes and cares for each other. You know, followers of Jesus at our, at our best, we're at our best when we create an appetite for Jesus. Instead of leaving a bad taste in people's mouths, we actually create a craving, a hankering for Jesus. Uh, when we act like followers of Jesus, truly act like followers of Jesus, people say to themselves, could there be a community of people who love one another unconditionally, who are careful in what they say and do so that they're consistent? Wow, I want that kind of life. I want to associate with those kinds of people people who see us acting and following Jesus in our, in our behavior and not just in our heart of hearts, so say, could there be a community that really cares to make a difference in the world? Could there be a group of people who are really concerned, genuinely concerned about the disenfranchised in the world? I want that. You see, Christianity is not pie in the sky, but pie on the table. Uh, it's interesting, I heard that uh, expression this week. Not pie in the sky, but pie in the table. Often the modern atheists accuse Christianity of being pie in the sky. In other words, you're just being good. You're, you're just trying to follow Jesus so that someday you're going to get your pie in the sky. Someday you're going to get to heaven and get all these rewards and live for, for eternity. And that's all Christianity is. It's, it's just a, a, a way to live so that you kind of hedge your bets so when you die you're going to have an, an eternity uh, that's going to be uh, rich and, and wonderful and beautiful. Actually, uh, following Jesus is not just pie in the sky, it's pie on the table. It's, it's about things that practically make a difference in our lives today. Um, the smallpox epidemic, uh, they believe it was smallpox. 165 AD, a plague hit the Roman Empire and one quarter to one third of the population died. And epidemiologists think that it was the first uh, onset of smallpox in the Western world. Uh, pagans in the Roman Empire, threw their sick into the streets and ran away. Uh, they had no hope of an afterlife. They had no understanding of mercy or love or care. And so they basically just distanced themselves. And the pagans actually fled the city. But Christians, interestingly enough, historians tell us that Christians stayed behind and cared for the sick. And what they discovered was that minimal care reduce mortality by two-thirds. In other words, just giving people food and water who were deathly ill, because if you completely abandon them, they're going to die. But by giving them food and water, two-thirds survived. 
And this was one of the major reasons Christianity spread so rapidly in the first few centuries because Christians hung around with those who were sick and helped them and ministered to them and gave them care. Even though medicine wasn't very advanced, they did what they could. And of course, they cared for one another. They weren't afraid of each other or to care for one another. And so then at the end of the epidemic, we have more Christians surviving than pagans. And also the pagans who were cared for looked at Christianity in a different light and wanted to become followers of Jesus because of the care and the love that they received. They really created a craving for Jesus. And I think that's what we want to do. Could there be a community that accepts everyone regardless of race, economic status, or age? I think there is. I think that's the community of faith. That's the kind of church we want to be. And when people say that, we see that in us, they say, I want that. I want to be involved in a community that really cares and really doesn't make those class distinctions and loves on people and is generous to people regardless of their background, regardless of where they came from. So let's create a craving for Jesus and his community of friends, an appetite, a hankering for him in our conversations. Let's make sure that we talk in ways that elevate people, build people up, love on people. In our gatherings, let's make sure we welcome everybody, no matter who they are or where they've come from or what they look like. And in our services to, to others, let's make sure that we look after uh, those in our culture that are disenfranchised, or even children and youth and young adults and adults and legacy builders, whoever that may be. Let's make sure that we reach out to people other than people who are like us so that we can show them the love of Jesus. Let's pray together. So, Father, we pray that you would help us um, not to be involved or not to participate in, in what uh, James the Elder calls religion that is worthless and what Bob Goff was talking about as fake religion. Lord, it just leads a bad taste in people's mouths. Instead, we want to do the opposite. We want to create, create a hankering after Jesus. See? We, want to, we don't want to whet the appetites of people who know us so that they would want to know the people that we hang with and the God that we serve. So help us, Lord, that, that we would live in such a way, that we would talk in such a way, that we would care for others in such a way, is that when people observe how we're living, they would say, hey, I, I, I need that, I want that, I would want a part of that. So Lord, help us. We all struggle in um, living out our faith in the everyday world. But Lord, thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit that enables us to live as we believe. We thank you, Lord. Amen. So there's a question I'm going to ask you, and I'm going to give you a minute or so to contemplate the question, and then I'll come back with concluding comment. Would someone be attracted to Jesus in his community of friends by getting to know you? That's the question. Let's think about that. A study of ancient tombstones by A.R. Byrne in 1953 established without much doubt that early Christians outlived their pagan neighbors. Why? It's because pie-on-the-table issues were important. Things like mercy, love, joy, peace led Christians to live a longer life than their pagan neighbors. Yes, Christianity is about getting people into heaven, but it's also about getting heaven 
into people. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20 to 21. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant, brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.